We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. You don't always have to know where the worship is going for you to join the worship. There's a lot of things on my heart to say. I don't even know where to start. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus resurrects from the dead and he appeared to the disciples. Ten of them. Judas had died. Thomas wasn't there. And Thomas comes back and, and they tell him that the Savior is risen. And he says, except I, I see him and put my hands in his side and, and put my hands in, his, in, the, in the holes, I am not going to believe. So not only will I not believe is, is Jesus, you can't bring another person and say that that is Jesus risen from the dead. And, and one time when they were gathered together, Jesus appears in their midst. Because when he rose, he wasn't using doors anymore. He appears in their midst and Thomas is there and he calls Thomas. Because he was there when Thomas spoke what he spoke, even though he wasn't there. And he says, Thomas, come. I'm very sure that in his compassion and love, he kept those holes for Thomas' sake. Because Christ did not need to resurrect with holes. He, because when he rose, it was his glorified body. His glorified body did not need holes in the side. Did not need holes in his wrist. He was glorified. And he comes and says, Thomas, here, put your hands in there. Feel it. There were holes, but there was no blood because all the blood had been shed. Yeah. He had resurrected and there were holes on him, but there was no blood. Has anybody ever thought about it? There were holes enough to show Thomas. See the holes where the nails went. But I'm not bleeding no more. And he says something profound to Thomas after that. He says, he says you believe because you see. And he says, blessed are them that do not see and yet believe. Our problem as believers is we are not trustworthy. Think trusting enough to follow even when we do not see. And just as we take Judas's chariot and make him a bad boy, meanwhile, he's better, he's a better servant of God than most of us here. Judas Iscariot. Of all the disciples of Jesus, of all the things that will happen to Jesus in his crucifixion, there was a lot more written that Judas would do. If you go and study your Bible, there was a lot more written of Judas Iscariot. And he came and he knew what was written of him to do. And he keyed into his purpose in God. At a point, Jesus tells him what you will do. Go and do quickly. Jesus says, if anyone eats, my, eats this bread 
and drinks this blood, he will be in me forever and I shall give him eternal life. Nobody can take them from me. If you eat the bread and drink the blood, you will get what? Eternal life and nobody can take you away from me. The father draws them. In John chapter 13, in John 6, Jesus says, my body is flesh. My, my blood is drink. In John 13, God, Jesus breaks bread with them. Don't forget, he says he's the bread. Jesus himself said, if you eat this bread and drink this blood, you have eternal life. In John 13, Jesus calls Judas and gives him bread to eat. Are you following? Jesus calls Judas. John 6, if you eat this bread and drink this blood, you have eternal life. <laughs> I am the bread. Oh, just so in case you don't understand what I mean by the bread, my body is the bread. When he takes the bread, he says, this is my body broken for you. So the moment they ate it, they got eternal life. And Jesus fed Judas eternal life before he went to do what he did. I will repeat. John 6. Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anybody eats this bread, he, he has come into eternal life. He wasn't referring to communion. He was referring to partaking of the finished work of Christ. Because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. If anybody eats this, if anybody, flesh and blood determines, suggests the totality of a person's being. Does that make sense? So when Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. He meant nothing carnal, nothing human. The totality of humanity could not have brought you into the revelation you have come into. Does that make sense? So flesh and blood is an idiom that expresses the totality of a person's being. So when Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, he says, partake of me. And all I am, all I've done for you. Does that make sense? So he clarifies, I'm breaking my body. When he took it on the night before he was betrayed, he said, this is my body broken for you. Make sense? His bread, his body's bread. He took the cup, he said, this is the cup of the new testament in my blood. Drink this. Now, earlier he had said, if anybody eats of this bread, he would have eternal life. Judas was in purpose. So before he went to fulfill purpose, Jesus called him and fed him eternal life. Jesus gave him the bread and he drank and John says in chapter 13 and when he had eaten, he went to do his assignment. If you study the life of Judas, you find out that there was the only record of sin of Judas was still pilfering money from the ministry post. That was the only record. Go and check the sins of all the other 11 disciples. You see pride, you see lust, you see rebellion, you see satanism. You see envy. James and John and their mother. Let these two sit in your left and in your right. You see pride and superiority complex. Shut up. Why are you disturbing the master? Why stop shouting? You know you read your Bible and you miss these things. You think that when it was normal of Peter to shut people down? You think it was normal of them to talk down blind Bartimaeus? You see them challenging the authority of Jesus. 
Yeah, can you be saying people touched you? Everybody touched you. Imagine go, go and going to tell that to your geo. Imagine that. Imagine, do you know how many times Peter tried to get in the way of God's will? Matthew 17 on the Mount of Transfiguration. Small glory appears. Small glory. A, a foreshadow of what was to come. Peter said, Let's stay here. Peter said, Jesus, no, no need going down. Forget that the Spirit of God is upon you, for He has anointed you to preach the good news to the tidings. Forget that you are, you are called to preach the God, gospel to other people who have not heard. Forget that you came to die for the sins of the world. Forget that there are other twelve, uh, nine apostles down there, and one twenty others, and five hundred others. Forget that the world has not been saved. Forget all of that. Let's just stay up here. Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, me, James, and John. Six of us. We can enjoy all this glory forever. You know, we don't see these things when we read scripture. Jesus says, the son of man is going up to Jerusalem. He'll be killed. And after three days, he will rise. Peter said, God forbid. Jesus, don't speak anything like that. We're just beginning to understand that you're talking about dying. Every time Jesus spoke about the will of God coming to pass, Peter stood up to oppose him. To a point, Jesus said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Peter, Jesus never addressed Judas as Satan. He only said Satan entered him. So Satan entered him for an assignment. But he addressed Peter as Satan. Get behind me. Count how many times. How many times. They tried to stand in the way. But Judas knew what was written of him. And he lined up to do it. There were 12 disciples. All of them except one were from Galilee. Judas was not from Galilee. Judas is a, a variation of the word Judea, of Judah, on the outskirts of Jerusalem. The Levites had no city, remember? They just had portions in Israel. And so they hung around Judea, they lived around Judea because they worshipped or they did their work in the temple. So it was said that Judas Iscariot was a Judean from around the Judean region. He was not a Galilean. And generally, Judeans looked down at Galileans. That's why they look at Jesus and say, you, from Galilee. What's, what's this? Judeans were superior to Galileans because Judeans were the priests. They were the ones that fed the, the, the temple in Jerusalem. So Judas was the only outcast. And I said something a, a few days ago. I put it on Facebook, a little bit of it on Facebook. When you, you, you know, you know, do you understand what it means when it says Jesus fulfilled the law? He fulfilled the law not just as a man who was a priest after the order of Melchizedek. If you have been following us for a while, you know. He fulfilled the, the law as the sacrifice. So you see, Jesus was not just the sacrifice. Jesus was the priest that did the sacrifice. Think of a man that officiated his own wedding. Think of a man that officiated his own funeral. Think of a man that officiated his own birth. Think of a man that officiated his own death. Jesus was both the priest, the executioner, and the sacrifice. So he fulfilled the law not just as a man of a priest from the tribe of Judah, of the lineage of David, he fulfilled the law as the perfect sacrifice. And the sacrifice specified according to the law that it must be a lamb without spot or blemish. In fact, do you know that if you call Jesus Christ a sacrificial goat, you will not be wrong. You know how Christians have made you believe that a goat is a bad one and the lamb is the clean one. If you go and study the law, you realize that it was okay for them to bring a young goat in place of a lamb. 
Now, when they brought the sacrifice for atonement offerings in the temple, who there was only one person that could specify or stipulate that the sacrifice was blemish free the priest. The priest who was a custodian of the law of Moses. The priest who understood the Ten Commandments and the 613 other addendum. He would inspect every form of the lamb and say, yes, this is without spot. This is without blemish. This is without wrinkle. And then it's now acceptable as a sacrifice. It was acceptable under the law of Moses. Because the old covenant was mediated by Moses. Are you following me? Are you following me? So when Jesus comes and he's brought before Pilate, and Pilate tries him, and Pilate says, I find nothing in him. He's innocent. He's pure. We think that it was Pilate's innocence that made Jesus innocent. No. Pilate was a, a Gentile. He was a Roman. Romans were not under Jewish law. So Pilate saying that Jesus was innocent was not enough to make Jesus acceptable to the Father. Jewish law, as mediated by Moses, had not yet been fulfilled. A Gentile had never been under the law of Moses. So a Gentile cannot come and inspect a Jewish sacrifice and say it is acceptable before the God of the Jews. Are you with me? Are you sure? It would have to take a Jewish priest who represented the law of Moses to take the checklist of the law of Moses and inspect the sacrifice and determine whether or not it was acceptable. Whether or not it was blameless. Are you following me? Are you sure? So forget what Pilate did. This outsider, meanwhile, the Jews and their priest, Cephas, who was the high priest, and all the other priests, Guess what their verdict of Jesus was? Guilty. It was a wrong verdict. Make sense? Somebody had to, by the same law, find him innocent. Find him blameless in order for that sacrifice to be accepted. But we have a problem. All the Jewish priests had connived together and said he was Guilty. If we killed the lamb as a guilty lamb, he would not be acceptable. Because according to the law, he was with blame. So we had a problem. We couldn't crucify Jesus because all the Jewish priests that were supposed to declare him innocent in order to be acceptable as a sacrifice had said he was guilty. And he becoming sin was not becoming sin because he sinned. He knew no sin. He became sin. Jesus did not have to commit sin to become sin. We all agree. I don't have to commit righteousness to become righteousness. For me to commit righteousness or to do a righteous thing to become righteous would be to imply that Jesus had to sin to become sinful. Are you here? For he made he who knew no sin to become sin. It was an imputation of sin. 
It wasn't a committing of sin. And likewise, it was an imputation of righteousness to me. Why do we struggle with it? Because it's very straightforward, sir. He did not commit sin, but God looked at him and reckoned him sinful. Because in one flash, the sin of the entire world was on him. He never sinned, but he encapsulated the sin of the entire world at once. That was why God turned his, fa- his face away from him. In that singular act, he transmuted righteousness in exchange. So that I don't have to be righteous by what I do. I just have to believe what he did. That was the secret of the, of the, the thief on the cross. He didn't need to do anything. He didn't need to go to Sunday school. He didn't need to go to Believer's Foundation class. He didn't need to get a church membership card, a tight card. He didn't need to go to any form of Bible training. He didn't need to be water baptized. He just said, I believe. It's, it's never, ever what you did. So, I'll come back to that. So, there's a problem. We can't crucify Jesus. Because if we crucify him guilty, we are crucifying him with a verdict that contradicts the fact that he was not sinful, but he was about to become sin. He would have died by judgment. He would have, he would have, because they have judged him guilty. And if they judged him guilty, he cannot be accepted. Because he's a faulty sacrifice. Does that make sense? Now, Pilate has judged him innocent, which is the correct judgment. But there's a problem. Pilate is not under the law. So, Jesus cannot be said as a sacrifice to have fulfilled the law. Because the one who found him innocent, found him innocent outside the law. Make sense? Judas had struck a deal with them for 30 pieces of silver. Now, just in case you didn't know, 30 pieces of silver, one, was prophesied in Zechariah as the price that would be paid, right, for the potter's field. One. Two, 30 pieces of silver is the, is the, is the value of a common slave in those days. So Judas did not sell Jesus because he wanted money. If he wanted money, trust me, he would have sold it at around 300 pieces of silver. Because 30 pieces of silver was just the cost of a common slave. Jesus takes the money, does what he needs to do, comes to his senses. Where did I say Judas is from? Judea. Who lived there? The priests. In the tribe of Judah, but Levites who lived there in Judea to feed the temple in Jerusalem. Judas comes, collects 30 pieces of silver, realizes what he had done, goes into the temple, priest, threw in the 30 pieces of silver and said to them, he's innocent. And that was the verdict heaven was waiting for. That a priest who was under the law, who knew the law, can determine that this sacrifice is acceptable, is innocent. Instantly, the machinery for the death of Jesus kicked in. It couldn't have happened otherwise. 
without the testimony of Judas that Jesus was innocent, he could not have been killed. <laughs> he could not have been killed. Because by what law are you finding him innocent in order to be acceptable as a sacrifice? By what law? By, by the Gentiles' law? They had no law. They were lawless people. Gentiles have not been ever under the law. So Pilate saying, I find him innocent, I wash my hands, whatever, was not the end. And somebody had to go into the temple and say, I, a Jewish priest, have certified this lamb innocent. And heaven goes, yes. Now, we can kill him. Now he is an acceptable sacrifice. Now he is without spot or blemish. Not because it was said so. But because it has, the law has been fulfilled. So when we say Jesus fulfilled the law. It wasn't just as a man. It was also as the lamb. So if you tried the sacrifice Jesus. Not the man Jesus. Are you following me? Not the man Jesus who lived. The, the man Jesus lived on the earth and did not sin. And so he fulfilled the law. Does that make sense? But because he was a prototype, everybody born of him uh, has also now fulfilled the law. Make sense? That is the man, Jesus. The sacrifice, Jesus. The lamb sacrifice also fulfills the law because the Lord checked him out and said he was innocent. And therefore, he could be the acceptable sacrifice. Be careful before you judge Judas. Oh. One, he ate the living bread. <laughs> and Jesus said, whoever eats that bread. And Jesus fed it to Judas who was about to betray him. Somebody was about to kill him and he fed him eternal life. <laughs> and me, I'm walking in the reality of eternal life. I, 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 Is anybody getting this? So he fulfilled the law, not just as the man, but as the sacrifice, as the lamb. The Lord checked him out and said he was blameless. As soon as Judas did that, his job was done. Have you noticed that the three gospels don't agree on how Judas died? Acts says in chapter 1 that he fell into a field, he bought a field with the money. And then he fell into it and his entrails burst. And he died. The other gospel says that he went and hung himself immediately coming to the realization of what he did. It doesn't matter to us. What matters to us is that he ate that bread. And in John chapter 6, Jesus says, I am the bread. In, in Exodus, Exodus, Exodus 16, they were hungry. Israel was hungry. They had left Egypt, right? They were hungry. And and they had, there was nothing and they began to murmur and grumble and they were testing God and God was testing them in Exodus 16 and, and in verse 4 I believe um, um, God says to Moses um, that I will give you bread from heaven Exodus 16 4 I think so check it in your Bible I will give you bread from heaven Exodus 16 4 is it in your Bible am I correct 
Yeah, am I correct? Exodus 16:4. I will give you bread of, of heaven. And what followed after that was, was manna. Manna in the Hebrew actually simply means, what is this? Hence they called it manna. Because in the morning when they saw it, they were like, what, what, what is this? And so they called, it became its name, manna. Psalm 78 verse 23, 24 and 25 says the same thing. That God gave them, they ate the bread of heaven. Men ate the food of angels. So it sounds like it is manna that is the bread of heaven. I said in this house a few weeks ago, I've told our folks that you cannot begin to speak a truth on any matter until you understand the holistic truth about it. So you cannot take Ezra 16 and start preaching bread of heaven. You can't take Psalm 78 and start preaching bread of heaven. You, you need to understand what the scripture in its entirety says about bread of heaven. John chapter 6. Have you seen Psalm 78? Is it there? They ate the bread of heaven. Men ate angels food. Have you seen your Bible? Please somebody who saw it tell me. Yeah? Psalm 78 verse 23, 24, and 25. I just need somebody to see it in your Bible and confirm that it's there. We haven't, I haven't got time. Have you seen it? Yeah? Verse 23, 24, 25 of Psalm 78. Did somebody see with their own eyes in Exodus 16, 4? Where it says that I will give you the bread of heaven. Okay. Now let's go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Are we there? Verse 32. <laughs> John 6, 32. New King James. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I said to you, I said to you, Moses, what? Did not give you the bread from heaven. Look up. I, I thought Exodus 16. God said, I will give you the bread from heaven. Did you see it in Exodus 16? God says, I will give you the bread of heaven. And Psalm 78 says, they ate the bread of heaven. And then Jesus is saying that Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. But my father gives you the true bread from heaven. 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So when God was saying in Exodus 16, I will give you bread from heaven. He was saying, hold on a second, Christ is coming. He said, I will give you bread from heaven. It wasn't manna. It wasn't what fell on the ground and they ate for each day and packed double for the seventh day. Uh, 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 he said, hold on a second. A, 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 little, a little while longer. <laughs> and the true bread is coming. Moses cannot give that to you. It, it, it cannot pour from heaven. It is a he, the true bread. It's a he. It's not it. If you read Exodus 16, you see where he says that God actually gave them that manna to test them and see whether they will obey the law. So, listen, I, I wish I had time. God was about to take them into a redemption process. The law had not been given in Exodus 16. The law began to be given in Exodus 20. Yeah, 10 commandments and then 21, blah, blah, blah. So when God was saying in Exodus 16 that he would give them bread, he said he, was, he gave them bread and told them, take what you need for each day. God said, the scripture says, God did that to test them and see how they can handle the law that was about to come. And what was the law coming to do? 
make sin exceedingly simple, and impute sin, because where there's no sin, where there's no law, they cannot be said to sin, and, and then lead men, point men to Christ by holding them in bondage until he comes, whom through faith they were able to receive the redemption through the promise. So they were about to enter a redemption plan. And it says, I, I'm bringing bread from heaven. What Moses gave you is not bread. For the true bread has come down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then he said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And then Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. 36. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Nothing the one who comes to me do does can make him a castaway. So be very careful before you open your mouth and talk about five foolish virgins and five wise virgins. On, establish who that was talking about. The believer or the unbeliever. Be careful before you dangle words around that religion has taught us over the years. Because he says, I will by no means cast out. Be careful before you quote, depart from me, you work out of iniquity. Establish if he's talking about a, a person who rejected the finished work or a person who in Christ stumbled. Otherwise, why is the righteous falling seven times and being called righteous? If he's righteous, why is he falling? If he's falling, why is he righteous? Be careful before you quote scriptures out of context. I put on Facebook a few days ago, what you don't know. You don't know until you know. So calm down. <laughs> Tell your neighbor, calm down. Yeah. First Corinthians 8 2. If anyone thinks he knows, he doesn't know as much as he ought to. Let's keep reading. I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven. <laughs> oh, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me. That all of all he has given me, I should lose nothing. But should raise it up at the last day. And you tell me Judas is in hell? Of all he has given me, I should lose how many? And I'm afraid of hell. Are you afraid of hell? You see, the communion is not what you eat to, to receive healing and protection and prosperity. It's not. It's not. It's not also what you eat to be righteous. Otherwise, you, if you have sin, communion will kill you. 
First Corinthians 11. It's not. We don't sanctify ourselves for communion. We enjoy communion because we are sanctified. If I need to confess every sin I've sinned in order to receive communion, I've just slipped from grace into works. Because the communion itself is me reminding myself that I ate this bread according to John 6. And if I've eaten this bread, I have eternal life. I'm not eating communion to receive life. I'm not eating communion to receive healing. I'm eating communion as a testament that I have received life. And I've received healing. At the point I am eating communion, it does nothing for me. At the point you are having it does nothing for you. Jesus says, just do this in of me. And me meaning what I have done. As often as you eat this, 1 Corinthians 11, eat this in remembrance of what I have done. Not eat it to receive what I'm going to do. The sacrament of communion. Eucharist. Holy communion. They didn't even call it that. They didn't call it that. You called it that. It's the lost dinner. The lost supper. It was food. It wasn't that thing you're looking for in your mouth. Shall I chew? Is it dissolving? Where is it? On the left side or the right side of my mouth. <laughs> There's some of you who have been ushers in your church. When service closed, you now steal the, some of the remaining bread wafers and take home because you think you have taken anointing home. I'm a pastor, I know what I'm saying. You thief some, take home. Because if everybody ate one one wafer and that one one wafer can do healing, you that you took 25 home. She'll be making the lame to hear, the blind to talk, and the deaf to see. Let's read on. This is the will of the Father who sent me. That of all he has given me, I shall lose how many? So listen to me. Look at yourself. If Jesus cannot deliver you to the father shh, on the last day he has explaining to do to God what kind of Jesus has he been Jesus in that he lost one of who the father gave him so it is not my responsibility to be delivered to God on the last day it's Jesus' responsibility because he said the will of the father is that of all he has given me, I should lose how many? Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And it doesn't end there. And to present you faultless before the throne. Whose ability is in question? Jude 24. His, not yours. 
Jude 24. It's only one chapter. So, 124 if you want. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior who alone is wise. Be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Whose capacity is in question to keep me from stumbling? Christ. Whose capacity is in question to present me faultless before the throne? Christ. Plus nothing. This is the will. John 6. Of the father who sent me. That of all he has given me I should lose nothing. But I should do what? Raise it up at the last day. He continues in verse 40. And this is the will of him who sent me. That everyone who sees the son and believes in him. May have everlasting life and I will raise him up on the third day. Anyone who sees and believes has what kind of life? Conditional life? Everlasting life means a life that is lasting forever. Regardless of what happens on the earth. Because if you have everlasting life then earth is just a minute fraction of that life. And earth time cannot determine everlasting life. Then, then the Jews complained and said, because he said, I'm the bread which came down from heaven. Verse 48. I am the bread of life. Verse 49 will mess somebody up right now. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. So clearly what they ate was not bread from heaven. Because whoever eats the bread of heaven, earlier verses says, has eternal life. Your fathers ate what they got and they are dead. Because what they ate was not what I was referring to. Because when you eat that bread, you cannot die. This is the bread, verse 50, which comes down from heaven. Ah, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Whosoever eats of this bread. Has anybody here eating of the bread of life? Lift your hand. You cannot die. Oh, look at how faithless their faces look. You cannot die. I don't care what they are saying to you. If you ate this bread we are talking about, you cannot die. One. Two. You cannot go to hell. 
Does anybody hear what I'm saying? Because of all that he has given to me, I should lose nothing. Is it in your Bible? All you need to do Let's go. Let me let me take one more verse. Verse fifty-eight, John six fifty-eight. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. He who eats this bread will live. Forever. Somebody put a, a note here and asked me to explain John 17 verse 12. And it talks about Jesus praying his last prayer. And he says, I have not lost any except the son of perdition. And the question there is, what does the word lost mean? At the time he died, there were 11 left. In Acts chapter 1, they called themselves together and they said, well, this other guy has come out and he has gone to his place. In Acts chapter 1. So his place here with us, let's another take. So Jesus saying he had lost him did not imply that he had condemned him to hell or to death. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Are you with me? In Ephesians 4, he says, what does it mean that he ascended, but that he descended to the lower parts of the earth? And we know that when he went there, he spoils principalities and powers. Yeah, he collected the keys of hell and death. Remember that when Jesus rose, people who were dead came back to life, showed up on the earth, said hello to their family members, and then went with him. You remember that? Your Bible? So even if Judas went to hell, which I think he did, Briefly. He got there just before Jesus got there. And when Jesus did the jailbreak, Judas followed. So whether he went directly from earth to heaven or he branched hell waiting for transport, He fulfilled his assignment. We lost him physically on the earth. Nobody died in that season. So him saying, I lost all of this that you have given to me. None has been lost. wasn't saying that I lost him to damnation. But that physically, one is dead. And at the time that Jesus was saying that, Judas hadn't done what he was supposed to do. So again, John was, Jesus was praying in John 17 by prophetic foresight. Because at the time Jesus was praying, Judas had not yet betrayed him. Does that make sense? Because we would have had a problem if Judas said, you know what, I can't betray Jesus. So. The whole redemption story would have grinded to a halt. So if Judas had said, you know what, I've realized that I am going to betray I can't do it. We would have had a major problem. The entire timetable of the redemptive plan would have been messed up. Because first of all, we would have missed Passover. 
And because it's our Passover lamb, it needed to have happened in that Passover. So, 33 and a half years would have had to be 34 and a half years at the earliest. Would have had to wait till the next year Passover and would have needed to recruit another person that would do the job of betraying Jesus and declaring him innocent. And if the other 11 went, "Mm -mm, I ain't doing it, then we have a problem. Jesus could not have been killed without the participation of Judas Iscariot. I'm not saying what he did was sweet and cool. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying what he did was noble. But I'm saying what he did was in the plan. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? It was in the plan. It was in the plan. It was expressly the plan. Now all we need to do is believe. Earlier in John chapter 6, let me show you something. Is this helping anybody? The the way the room is quiet. I feel like... Am I in the more sessions? John 6. John chapter 6. We're still in John chapter 6. Now, if you, if you, if you, oh man. You know that earlier on, a chapter later, a chapter earlier, what brought this whole bread talk was the feeding of the 5,000. In case you didn't know. John chapter 5. The 5,000 had just been fed with bread. And fish. Right? And then Jesus crossed over to the other side. And then... They needed some time away and they decided to move from Tiberias to Capernaum. When he, when he left, he joined them. He joined them in the boat. And I saw something yesterday for the first time. You know how other translations talk about the tempest that blew? Other gospels. John doesn't talk about that. Matthew talked about the fact that he came to them. Peter was like, if it's you, bid me to come to you walking on the water. John doesn't go into all that detail. John just says, and when Jesus came into the boat, immediately the boat arrived where it was going. Yeah, let me show you. (laughs) John 6. (laughs) Verse 20. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. 21. Then they willingly received him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Few verses earlier, it said they had rowed for three to four miles. They were rowing. It's about eight to nine miles from Tiberias up on the lake of Galilee to Capernaum. They had rowed three to four miles. They were still rowing. Works without grace. Works without grace. They were making progress, but it was slow. It was tedious. It was painful. It was laborious. There was no life. There was no zoe. And the life of, was not there. The bread of life wasn't there. They were rowing and trying to get to Capernaum. Trying of their own effort. Trying of their own works. Trying of their own strength. Rowing and rowing. And as soon as the life 
gets into the boat. Immediately the boat was at land where they were going. So the race is not to the swift. Not the, am I speaking to anybody? As soon as he stepped into the boat, rowing stopped. Struggle stopped. Immediately he entered the boat. The boat was at land. Rowing did not have to continue when Jesus stepped on the boat. <laughs> Travel did not have to continue when Jesus stepped in the boat. And there's somebody who's here who's rowing. You've been rowing. It's getting prophetic right now. You've been rowing. You've been rowing. You've been rowing. You've been rowing. Uh, Proverbs says when the axe head is blunt, much effort is required. Uh, all you need to do is lift up your eyes and let him into the boat. Because as soon as he gets in the boat, the boat gets to where it's going. As soon as he entered the boat, the boat was at land. Not just at land anywhere, but at land exactly where the boat was going. You see why he's the destination? Yeah. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there, basically, let me cut the story short. Jesus had fed them and then crossed from the east side, east side of Jordan, of Galilee, to the west side of Galilee. And then after a while, he started to go up north to, 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 to Capernaum from Tiberias. When the people realized that the person that fed them yesterday for free, bread and fish, are you following me, was not there and all the boats were not around, then they realized that Jesus had crossed over to the other side and they thought, let us chase him. Because there will be more bread and fish. If he fed all of us yesterday, wherever he is today, we're going there because there will be more bread. So they got into boats in chapter 6 and they crossed and traced Jesus to Capernaum. And today they were ready for bread and fish. And I'm sure on that day, they set up a few young boys to bring baskets of five, five loaves and two bread. Jesus will not lack the one to turn to feed 5,000 today. Doesn't that sound like your average Christianity today? Yeah? They were ready. Today, we have five loaves and two fish as he did it yesterday. You are doing the same today. So they got into boats and crossed the river, followed him. Looking for today bread. <laughs> and what Jesus had for them today was eternal bread. They came for today's bread. He had eternal bread for them. So he begins to speak to them. verse 26 John 6 26 then Jesus answered them and said most assuredly I say to you you seek me not because you saw the signs but because you ate of the loaves and were filled can you see it 
Do not labor for the food which perishes. Oh, am I speaking to anybody here? But for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set a seal on him. So yesterday's five loaves and two fish was a setup for the real bread. If Jesus came talking about eternal bread, he would have carried no weight. But he, before eternal bread, he fed them today's bread and they knew that he could give them bread. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? And he let them go. The following day, they come to him looking for bread again. And now he's ready for what he really wanted to give them. Just as he gave them manna then. So yesterday, he fed the 5,000 bread. So they believe that if we locate Jesus today, today we will get bread. Just like yesterday. And they were willing to be taking boats and camels and donkeys and following Jesus everywhere he went because if he did it once, they were guaranteed that every time they were with him, they would get bread. And Jesus says, no, no, that's not the plan. The plan is to give you this one bread you eat once and never test again. Here's what they said to Jesus. I'm going to end here because there's a lot. 28, please stay with me. Then they said to him, <laughs> Wisdom, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? It's about to get very, very deep in here. They said to him, What must we do that we might work the works of God? 29. Sansa, just hold on. I want the silence for one second. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Jesus, what must we do to work the works of God? What shall we do to enter this thing? What, how can we help your ministry? How can we assist what you're doing on the earth? How can we help you work out this salvation righteousness business? What must we do to work the works of God? Jesus said, you are not called to works. You are called to work. One work. And that work is that you believe. This is the work of God that you believe on the one he sent, Christ. So if you want to call it work, that work is simply believing. John chapter 9. You chose a good Monday to come. John chapter 9. John 9 4. Jesus is speaking about the man that was born blind. From verse 3. Jesus answered and said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Verse 4. John 9 4. Are we there? I must work thee. Is that in your Bible? I must do what? The works of him. 
Who sends me while it is day? Master, John 6. What can we do to work the works of God? Jesus said, no, you don't need to work works. The work of God is for you to believe. Why? It is me that is doing the works. I must work the works of him who sent me. What is the works? Look for, quoting Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. To set at liberty those who are captives. To preach the uh, restoration of, of sight to the blind. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Those were the works that Christ came to do. You cannot do the works. Oh, only one or two people got me. <laughs> he said, I must work the works. And when I finish working the works, Ephesians 2.10, I now present you as my workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. For you are God's workmanship. You are the result of the works of Christ. (laughs) You are not a result of your works. Because he didn't call you to do works. He called Christ to do works and those works in you now make you the workmanship of Christ. So when we want to see what Christ is capable of doing, we pick Marcos and we say this is the workmanship of Christ. Sanctified not by what he did, but by the workmanship of Christ. Healed not by the offering he gave, but by the workmanship of Christ. Delivered not because he was prayed for, but by the workmanship of Christ sanctified not because he fasted but by the workmanship of Christ this is the workmanship of Christ by grace are you saved and that through faith even the faith not of yourselves is the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast Only one person did the works. I must work the works of him that sent me. And when he has worked the works, he presents you as his workmanship. I I, I, I came healing the sick. Look at him. I came forgiving the sinner. Look at him. I came giving glory to the shameful. Look at him. This is my workmanship created in Christ unto good works. Not dead works. That's why Hebrews 6 says, let's not start talking about repentance from dead works. Anything you do to assist anything Jesus did is dead works. They said, what shall we do to work the works of God? Jesus said, no. This is the work of God that you believe. You see why the cross is foolishness to them that are perishing? And then Romans calls it in chapter 9 a stumbling block. People are not offended about Jesus. They are offended when you say Jesus is your righteousness. Because even demons know he's Lord and they tremble. No, they're not offended by your Jesus. They are offended when you come into the knowledge of what Jesus did for you. Have you noticed? No, they're happy with Jesus in the manger. Baby Jesus. They're happy.
But he says this is the work of the father that you believe. That you what? Believe. So the moment you believe you have eaten bread that guarantees you eternal life. And therefore, Jesus is obligated to present you before the Father on the last day, blameless. These are all the ones you gave me. I did not lose anyone. It's not a man that he should lie. Or the son of man that he should repent. Has he said it? Will he not do it? Has he prophesied it? Will it not come to pass? Who are you to think that Christ will fail at his assignment because of your theology. Because of your theology. Because of what you think and how you feel. No, listen. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Jesus did not have to sin to become sin. I did not have to do good to become righteous. And the moment you come into that realization, everything about you changes. All the energy you have been spending rowing the boat. Please don't forget that. All the effort you have been putting in life, in relationships, in business, in your health, in marriage, in academics, all of the rowing ceases because once life steps in you arrive at where you're going just believe who he says you are this is the work of God that you believe not works he worked the works you work the work and that work is believe That's all. That's all. Believe. Not works. Believe. You wake up in the morning, you lift up your hands and you say, Father, I thank you because I am your righteousness in Christ. Father, I thank you because my sins are forgiven. And as Christ is, so I am in this world. I thank you because I am joined heirs with the Son. Heirs of the Father. I thank you that I am seated with Christ in heavenly places far above principalities and powers. I thank you for Jesus and his finished work. Thank you for the gift of faith because Ephesians 2 says it's a gift of God by which I believe. And if I believe, therefore life answers to the Christ in me. You are finished praying. Or you can sit down and pray and bind all the demons that if you know them by name. Ancestrals, devils, household wickedness. Cover the blood, cover the road with the blood of Jesus. Cover the car with the blood of Jesus. You are not growing. You are not growing. 
if we needed to pray those prayers, Paul should have told us. The Bible should have told us. The Bible should have told us to confess and cover everywhere with the blood. But I, 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 I am in Christ. I have eaten the bread of life. And whoever eats the bread of life will not die. So I can't die. I'm undiable. Oh, I wish somebody would do the work tonight. What was that work? This concludes this message. Thank you for listening and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.